When you come to Romans chapter 8, there is so much to ponder in this book of books, especially in this chapter. But in these three verses, I could actually just take three more weeks. I'm trying to finish chapter 8 by the end of this year, so we start chapter 9 next January. But this morning, we're just going to take a look at the greatest promise in the Bible for the Christian. Uh, there's some great promises in the Bible. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. thee. That's a great promise, all right? Uh, Behold, I come quickly. That's a great promise, amen? There's a lot of good promises, but this is the greatest one. In the, say, Can you say that? I think I can say it is the greatest promise. It is found, as we said, there in Romans 8, 28. Look at that word, third word in. And we will say the word. What is it? And we know. There's something that a Christian can say that other religions can't, that other people and their philosophies they don't, they don't know what they believe. But I don't know. I don't just have a belief. I have a knowledge. I know that how many of the things? All things work together for good. That does not mean that everything is good. <laughs> there are a lot of things that aren't good in life, okay? You get cancer. That is not good. But here the Bible says all things work together for good. Now, it's limited. You say, oh, well, that's great. The whole world is just going to get better better. No, no, no. It's to them that love God. You see, we wonder, what's the measure of a Christian? Your heart. God doesn't look at your outward, doesn't look at your, your, your clothes, your money, your car, your house. He looks at your heart. What do you love? Who do you love? The greatest commandment is what not what you do, but who you love. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. So it's for them that who love God and to them who are the called according to his purpose. So we memorized this first. We memorized it just last month, as a better fact. But have you grasped it? Does it just hit you every time you think about it? You see, it, 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 when you start to believe this truth, it will fix your life. See, we want our situation changed. God doesn't want to fix your situation. He wants to fix the end result. He wants to fix the, the, the final product. If he has to fix you now, he has to fix everybody now. And he's working all of our mistakes, all of our troubles, all of our problems, all of our flaws, all of our sins. See, that doesn't put God off. God just says, I'm going to work this thing out for good. Doesn't matter what you throw into it. It will make, it will bring sweetness to your soul. It'll broaden your smile if you believe that verse. And it'll bring rest and joy to every troubled heart in life. That all things going on in the world and going on in life are being worked together, mixed together for good, not for ruin. You think you lose your job and you think I'm doomed. Uh, your wife walks out on you, you think I'm doomed. You think your car explodes, it's a Tesla, and you think you're doomed. Everything that happens in your life, you think it's the end. And God says, it is not the end. I'm going to work everything that is rotten and awful and hard and impossible to do with. I'll still work it out for good. Listen to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Don't go there, but it says this. This is Solomon. Why Solomon says this? I have seen the travail. That's the suffering, the struggle. I have seen the travail which God hath given to the sons of men. I mean, the world is the way it is because God says, I'm not going to let you get away with sin. We've got some spiritual laws that are going to make consequences. And he says, I have seen the travail which God hath given to the sons of men to be exercised in it. He, God, hath made everything beautiful in his time. Isn't that wonderful? So, yeah, you, you, you want to complain? Complain to God. Say, God, I don't know why you're dumping this on me. I don't know what you're doing. As a matter of fact, 
The book of Job, Job got one good thing right. He realized the person he, with all of his trouble, the person he needed to talk to and get help from and to deal with and to ask why was God. And so instead of blaming the devil, who was really behind it all, instead of blaming his friends, instead of blaming climate change, <laughs> he said, God, what, you, what are you doing? Because God is the one who's in charge. And that's some promise, man, that he's going to make everything beautiful in his time. Now, the fact is that uh, everything is being worked together for good. Uh, how can Paul say such a thing? Is it really true? I mean, I think it's too great a promise. If I was not a believer already in the Lord Jesus Christ, I'd say you're out of your mind. I mean, uh, with all the pain and heartache and trouble in the world, how can things like death and disease work together for good? What about divorce, a miscarriage? How does war and earthquakes and tsunamis, how do they actually work together for good? I mean, it, when Paul says this, he says it with such confidence, we need it. So who does it apply to? Not just to everybody, okay? There are people in this room who will never know the joy and never know the rest and never know the, the, the excitement, the expectation of that scripture because they don't love God. You come to church, maybe your parents drag you, maybe your wife drags you, maybe your husband brings you to church. Maybe you come just because you visited. I don't know why you're here, but let me tell you, this is not the end. This isn't the goal. Coming to church is so that you follow Jesus Christ. He's the goal. He will make everything work out for good. Now, we all uh, suffer. <laughs> you read that verse there. Let's read. You can read quietly while I read verse 26. The Spirit also helpeth our, hear that word, infirmities. For we know not how we ought to pray, how we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself make intercession for us with what? You ever just just tried to pray and all, all that came out was, oh. You know what the Holy Spirit was doing when you were going, oh. You know what the Holy Spirit was saying? Oh. You've got the best friend ever right alongside you. It's called a prayer partner, the Holy Spirit, who groans right along with you. Isn't that priceless? See, we all groan. We all suffer, even Christians. Look at verse 22, still in Romans chapter 8. We've looked at all this, but I got to bring you back. Romans 8, 22, for we know that the whole creation, every creature on this planet, groaneth and travaileth in pain together unto now. You ever seen those, those nature films and you've got a little baby duckling and <laughs> swimming along in there and then up pops this alligator and chomps him and swallows him whole. <laughs> I mean, nature is violent, man. Don't you believe uh, David Attenborough? And it's all oh, wonderful. Look at this ant as he builds his house. And watch this bird as he dances for his maiden. Nature is violent. Nature cries out just like you two. When will it end? All of creation groans for something better. He goes on and he says, verse 23, uh, uh, and not only they, not only the loss. I mean, I said it last week. Every atheist groans for a better life. Verse 23, not only they, but ourselves, our, us Christians also, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves. What's that next word? What, is, what does it mean to groan? It means to emotionally collapse. That's groaning. That's where you can't go another step. You just, you give up. 
That's groaning. It's, it's painful just to breathe. And it says, we also, verse 23, groan within ourselves. Oh, we wait for the adoption, for the redemption of our body. That's the resurrection. We're waiting for it to get better. So if you've never groaned emotionally, desperately, then you're not breathing. Honestly, you say, I have a good life. We'll give it another year. <laughs> Honestly, every one of us groan under the weight of troubles and pain and disappointments, wars and death, including Christians. I've never known any exceptions. I've never known anybody who didn't just have times where they just groaned and they just felt like dying. Adam and Eve. You know, after they made that decision to try to live on their own without God, and everything fell apart. They lived by the sweat of their brow every day for the rest of their life. And that life went on for 960 years. Then they had to live with the fact that their oldest son became a murderer. Think about it. Every morning, Eve woke up groaning, knowing her son was out there after murdering one of her other sons. You got to understand, I've never known people who've been free from groaning. I've read the history. I know it. Job, he lost everything he had. Absolutely everything he had was lost, including his health. He groaned. You ought to read the book of Job. Put your feet in his shoes. You'll know his tears. Joseph, I mean, your own brothers. <laughs> he, had, he had 11 brothers who hated his guts. Actually, 10 brothers who hated his guts. And they hated him so much that they wanted him dead, but they saw we can make a few bob on him, and they sold him into slavery. And for 20 years, he was abused, and he was enslaved. 20 years, man, groaning. Don't forget about Jesus. He stepped out of the palace of heaven, stepped into this world, and he groaned. He was a man of sorrow, the Bible says. He was acquainted with grief. He knew what it felt like to be hungry, misunderstood, mistreated, abused, tortured, beaten, and murdered. I, I, there are no exceptions, amen? We all groan. Peter. <laughs> Peter's had a pretty good life following Jesus Christ. And Jesus says to Peter, he says, Peter, it's going to get rough. You used to do whatever you wanted. You used to go where you wanted to do, go, and you just, you had, you ran your own life. But now when I leave, people are going to take you by the hand and take you where you don't want to go. And you will die. A glorious death, yes, <laughs> but you will die. And tradition says he died on a cross upside down. I've never known anybody who didn't just look at life and groan. Paul, I mean, he was chased out of almost every town he went into. I mean, he says, he said, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. He was beaten to death almost everywhere he went. As he tried to preach the gospel, he tried to live for God. Whether it's your my life or my life, we can all admit the Christian life is hard. Yet we have hope. We have a sure hope. Look in verse 18. Back there in Romans 8, verse 18. For I reckon that the suffering, see that word? I'm trying to live right, Brother better. I'm trying to do right. I'm trying to stay pure. I'm trying to stay off the internet. I'm trying to, to be a blessing. I'm trying to be at church. I'm trying to read my Bible. I'm trying to hold my tongue. I'm trying to be, be an encourager. And all I do is suffer. I'm misunderstood. I'm fired. People don't become my friend. And look what it says. I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. That's hope. 
Verse 28, that's how come we can read, and we know that all things work together for good. Just stop there for a second. We have a sure, confident hope because God, not the devil, not the world, is in charge. And it just needs to be believed. So let me get to the message. I got three points. Look at, look at, go back to John. I need to lay a little bit of groundwork because you don't notice it here in Romans 8 as strong as a point as I'm going to make here. But we are gifted with the presence of the Spirit of God. John chapter 14, verse 16. Don't skip this truth. I mean, if, if, if I got this promise that says that everything's going to work out for good. And by the way, it may not even be in my lifetime. But everything's going to work out for good. God will take everything that was a disaster to me, and he's going to make it come out good. If that's true, why? What are, the, what are the three reasons why that's true? Number one, because the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. Look in John chapter 14, verse 16. A couple of scriptures here. Who in times past suffered. Am I in the room? I'm in Acts. Sorry. John 14. <clears throat> John 14, 16. And I will pray the Father. This is Jesus saying, I'm going to ask the Father, and he shall give you another what? I mean, who was the original comforter? Jesus. I mean, it must have been awesome just to sit there with Jesus. You never lacked anything. You were safe. You, 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 got, you were blessed. The excitement, the joy, the work, but everything. And Jesus says, eh, I got to go, but I'm going to give you another comforter. There was nothing that the disciples went through that Jesus couldn't comfort. And he says, I'm going to give you another comforter that he may abide with you. Abide is dwell, live with you forever. Who is it? Verse 17, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not. They want something they see. But this is somebody you won't be able to see and neither the word does the world know him, but ye know him. For he dwelleth with you, but one of these days he shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. And he says, I will come to you. That's the Trinity. See, Jesus, I can't be with you. I got to leave physically, but I'd be with you in the person of the Holy Spirit. You see how that works? I'll show you another one that helps. Chapter 14 still. Go down to verse 23. Blow your mind. John 14, 23. Jesus answered and said unto one of his disciples, said, if any man love me, he will keep my words and my father will love him. Amen. And we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Who's that? The Father and the Son. <laughs> I've already got the Holy Spirit. And he says, uh, you're also going to get the Father and the Son all together. That's the Trinity in the believer in the form of the Holy Spirit of God. I already mentioned one of the greatest revelations about Jesus Christ. He didn't leave us um, um, in reality. He, gave us, he, left, he left the world physically. But Hebrews 13, 5 says, I will never leave you. So I trust, even though I can't see him, I trust he's here. Jesus even said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst. You don't see me, but I'm there. So, uh, by the way, one of the names of Jesus at Christmas, what is it? Emmanuel, which means God with us. That is so cool. So. Let me say something. Most Christians I know don't realize how precious the presence of the Holy Spirit is in their life. How wasted a life is without the awareness of the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. When religion is a list of things you must do and, and, and you have 
no presence of God in your life. It's a wasted life. And people miss the presence of so many different things, especially their family. We come up to Christmas. You know what Christmas is? Everybody coming together and sitting on their phones. Isn't that weird? Oh, they're all coming for dinner tonight. Well, can you get them off their phones? We miss the presence of just people. How much more do we miss the presence of Almighty God? People will be on their phone. They'll be in front of their TV. They'll sit in front of tablets from the time you're nine months old. Kids, children in prams are sat there glued to a tablet. People work all day. Others do nothing at all, won't work. They're sleeping. They're lazy. They follow their emotions. They follow their feelings. They follow the culture, their workmates, their friends, and they don't know the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. By the way, God did give you people in your life as flawed as they are. It's a blessing to have people in your life. You Listen, you were not made to be alone, amen? We found that out during COVID, didn't we? I mean, why we have to have some nuts and politics discovered by trial and error that we need each other. You know, you need even the messed up people in your family, as flawed as they may be. God gave you your brother for adversity. Did you know that? Some of you got brothers you wish he didn't give you. But the Bible says a brother is born for adversity, for trouble in your life. Not, not to make trouble, <laughs> but to help you in trouble. Family is for times of adversity. God gave you your wife and your husband. Be present with them. That, that, that gift of them is priceless. So when you're at odds with one another, you're the one that hurts and suffers because that person is there, whether they know it or not. It's a gift. But when all is said and done, the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, this is what I'm trying to get. I mean, how many people look up and, and the person that they always had, had expected to be there in the morning, eating their breakfast, reading the paper or whatever is no longer there. And we say, I miss them. I didn't appreciate them when they were here. Let me say, most Christians go through their Christian life. And they don't realize who it is that God has given to you. The reason why you and I have the promise of Romans 8, 28 is because the Holy Spirit has been stuck in us. And he says, I'm going to make sure it comes true. Amen? Amen. My abilities don't matter. My inabilities don't matter. My, um, uh, you know, intelligence and my money don't matter to God. The Holy Spirit in me is going to make it come true. Isn't that great? So look at verse 26 now. Let's go to Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Romans 8, 26. This is where we pick up our verses. Now, likewise, the Spirit also, he does so much in chapters 8. But when we come to verse 26, he does something you probably don't realize. He says, the Spirit also helps with our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Hold there for a thought there for a moment. Um, uh, when we talk, when, when, when the Bible uses the word infirmities, he says he helps our infirmities. Those are times when we are infirm. Firm is, is like, like this. <laughs> That's, that's not a Christian. That's an actor, by the way. 
we think we have to come into church, we have to enter a room strong like Arnold Schwarzenegger or like Conor McGregor. You just need to come in. I'm, I'm capable. I'm success. I'm a believer. I'm a conqueror. I'm awesome. That's how we think. And when we have no strength, we stay at home. And we won't minister. We won't serve. We won't be a blessing. We won't give. We, the Bible says, when we are weak, when we're unable to keep going, that's when the Holy Spirit is there and he does marvelous things through us. Paul knew weakness. He was not Conor McGregor. Second Corinthians, go to, you're in Romans, go to the right, find Second Corinthians chapter 11. Second Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 23. Listen to Paul's life. Second <clears throat> Corinthians 11, 23. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. I am a servant of Christ in labors, more abundant in stripes. That's whipping. Above measure in prisons more frequent. How many of you want to hang around with be best friends with somebody who's constantly in prison? In deaths, he was at the edge of death often. Verse 24 of the Jews, five times I received I 40 stripes. That's whipping save one time. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck. I would not want to be on a boat with Paul. He seems to keep getting shipwrecked. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day have I been floating in the deep, in journeyings often, constantly moving on, in perils, dangers of water, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, whether in the city or in perils in the wilderness, in everywhere he went, in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness, and what's the next word? Painfulness. In watchings, which means he couldn't sleep. He had to stay awake because somebody would be constantly trying to attack him. In hunger and thirst, in fastings, often in cold and nakedness. And beside all these things that were without, I struggle with that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Who is weak? Listen to him. Am not I weak? Who is offended? And I burn not. Boy, he says, I just want to give what for? If I must needs glory, however, if I'm ever going to rejoice, I will glory in the things which concern my. So he doesn't look at that list and say, and they, everyone will make me bitter. He says, they make me excited. <laughs> Go back to chapter four, verse eight. Still in second Corinthians chapter four and verse eight. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse eight. We are troubled on how many sides? Every side. You can't get away from it yet not distressed. We are perplexed. We don't know what to do, but we're not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. You look at us, you look at Christians, you go, you guys look like losers. Look at what it says. We may look that way, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body as weak and as infirm as it is. Go to chapter 12 now. Still in 2 Corinthians, chapter 12, verse 7. 
2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7, Paul learned that the less he depended upon his abilities, on his strengths, on his flesh, the more of the power of Christ was given to him. Look at it. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. He was, he, listen, he's writing scripture. God is using him to write the Bible. And he says, lest I should get very proud. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh. I mean, you've had a splinter in your finger. This was a thorn in his flesh. The messenger of Satan to buffet me, to pummel me, to to hurt me constantly, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing, I besought the Lord twice. What does that mean? I'm asking God, take it away. Please stop the pain. Please stop this, this, this trouble in my life. Three times, Paul says, I asked God to take it away, that it might depart from me, verse 9. And he, Jesus, said back unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in what? Now, I don't like that. Because I want to be strong enough to come walking into church and come up here and preach. I don't want to have to come in on a wheelchair. I don't want to have to struggle just to breathe. I want to be able to be healthy, strong, clear-headed. I want to keep all of my memories. I want to be able to, to feed myself. But that's not the, the life of everybody, is it? Some people, a lot of people struggle just to feed themselves. And they're just as saved as you and me. And they groan that they can't be at church. They groan they have to be carried everywhere in a wheelchair. They groan that they don't have the things that the rest of us have at this point in our life. And so we say, I guess God is done with me. Are you following me? I, I can't. I've, I've lost my voice. There's a preacher over in the States. He's pretty well known over there. He's having, he got cancer of his laryngitis. And they're removing his voice box and all this stuff. He'll never preach again. That I know of. I wonder if God could use him in his weakness. Yes. You see, we think God's all through with me because I'm not strong anymore. I, I can't stand up anymore. I can't, I can't put two sentences together. I don't have any money anymore. I don't have a job. My wife's left me. My kids don't talk to me. Everything's wrong in my life. I feel so weak. I feel so destroyed. And Jesus says, but my grace. Wow. And listen to the end of the verse. Most gladly, verse 9. Therefore, will I rather glory, that's a good term, it's the word rejoice, in my infirmities, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, I haven't even gotten to my point yet, but I just want to build this truth. That because of the help of the Holy Spirit, Paul was able to glory, to rejoice, to praise God in the midst of his weakness. When he couldn't stand up in front of the crowds of people in the market and he stuck with Silas in the darkest prison, he says, we can sing. <laughs> he was unable to do anything big and powerful, so he just sang in that dark prison in, Phil in, in Philippi and the whole prison got saved. <laughs> I'm just telling you, when you feel so limited and you're so boxed in and you wonder, I guess God's through with me. He is not through with you. You know what the Holy Spirit does for you? Six things. One, he comes alongside you and me. He's the best friend you'll ever have. His presence is just a gift. Just somebody, you ever gone to somebody in the hospital and they've been there maybe for days and nobody's visiting. You just come there and you hold their hand. 
just you being there is a gift, isn't it? Well, you've got somebody that will never leave you. The Holy Spirit, secondly, carries you. He puts, as they say, he puts wind beneath your wings. He, he lifts the weight so that you can walk another step. He carries you. Thirdly, he convicts you. He makes you feel guilty at times. That's a gift from the Holy Spirit. The presence of the Holy Spirit is the ability that you go, I better not. <laughs> and you never would have second thought doing something for you, God saved. He convicts you and he comforts you if you let him. If you just would let him comfort you, if you're looking for comfort in the world, you will, you will die. But he comforts us. He calls us constantly forward. You know, the work of the Holy Spirit is to pull you towards the prize, to push you, to, to, to nudge you, to encourage you, to carry you, to go forward, never backwards. He calls us to go forward. And he doesn't usually cure us. Number six is kind of suspect. We want him to, we, don't you wish I was a prosperity preacher? And I just said, and he always cures all the diseases. But he doesn't. But he can. That's why we pray. But he does everything we need. So we just keep going and we suffer. So what do we do? Now, let's get to the point. Pray. Pray about everything. He's looking to go back to Romans there. He's taking it for granted that they, the Christians in Rome were praying. Verse 26, he says, likewise, 826, the spirit also helpeth our infirmities for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings, which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the spirit. The he there is Jesus, by the way, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. I want you to understand this. You need to start praying about everything. I mean, I know we live in Ireland, but pray about the weather. <laughs> pray about your finances. Pray about your marriage, your future marriage. Pray about your health. Pray for your boss. Pray for your co-workers. Pray about your car that it keeps going. You know it's God holding it together, don't you? Pray about your sleeplessness. Pray about your anxiousness, your addiction. Pray about your anger. Pray about your bitterness. Pray for your kids. Pray for your pastor. Pray about your attitude. None of us really know how to pray, but you should pray, amen? When we're suffering, when, when things aren't working, when, when things are falling apart, especially with our family, you just don't know, I know how to pray. You have no idea how to pray, but you should pray. <laughs> Prayer is God's power that steers your life through your suffering. Can I say that again? Prayer, not willpower, not abilities. When you get on your knees, and I mean on your knees, when you take time and you and God are head to head, eye to eye, heart to heart, passion, anger, frustration, discouragement, everything to him. When you and him are talking, there is something that happens where you are steering that life of yours through the storm by prayer. And God says, keep coming. This is good. And when you don't pray, you're adrift, you're smashing against the rocks, and you're wondering, where is God? It doesn't matter if you don't know how to pray or what to pray for. You should learn. Uh, we've got some books on prayer back there. You ought to study prayer. Did you know there are 650 recorded events in the, in the Bible where people prayed? 
well over 500 times and actually tells you some of what they said. Now we know Jesus' model prayer, our Father which art in heaven. We know that one. But you know there's at least 500 more. You ought to study them. You ought to, you ought to take them as an example. You ought to look at the book of Psalms. And as you read Psalms, you see somebody who's frustrated and discouraged and weak and infirm and struggling and wanting to die. Amen. And he teaches you how to pray. When you're struggling, do you think to pray or do you think to complain? Just pray. That's, you say, Pastor, I already know that. But do you do it? And can I say this? Even if all you know what to do is groan. I don't know what to say. It doesn't matter if you don't know what to say. Groan. Just the fact that you get into the presence of Almighty God and there you begin to just, oh. <laughs> You've touched heaven. Flowery words, polished sentences, matching your gerunds and prepositions and participles mean nothing to God. He doesn't mind the groan. Because what's happening when you're praying is the Holy Spirit is praying with you every time you pray. When we pray about our troubles, our instinct is to get out of the room. We want for God to get rid of the problem, the pain, the weakness. But did you know God usually is the one that puts you in that trouble? Amen. You say, well, I think I think so-and-so, they made the mistake. And they go, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, God fixed it so that that's what's supposed to happen. And God's in charge. Everything the devil brings into your life, you had to get permission. God put us in trouble for a reason, and we don't know how to pray about it. I don't know how to pray when I'm going through a problem, man. And I got to say this, by the way, our our prayer doesn't move mountains. God moves mountains, okay? He's just waiting for us to spend some time with him and talk to him and worship him. And by the way, he'll move a mountain every once in a while. Amen? If only you knew what prayer is. Can I be, some of you that's just going, I, I think I know what prayer is. Let me just help you for a second. Prayer is making time for God. Like you know you need to make time for your husband. Like you know you need to make time for your wife. It's making time for God like you know you need to make time for your kids. Like, like you know you need to make time for your boss. Like you know you need to make time for sleep. Like, you know, you need to make time for dinner or for breakfast. You make time for all those things. Prayer is when you say, I am making time for God. It's not a flippant passing moment. Prayer is making time for God where you talk to God, where you cast all of your cares, burdens, hurts, heartaches into his mighty hands. And you'll find a prayer partner, an intercessory prayer partner that prays along with you as you pray. He groans with you as you groan. You realize the Holy Spirit sees what you see. The Holy Spirit hears what you hear. The Holy Spirit knows what you say. The Holy Spirit knows your attitude. The Holy Spirit knows what you're going through. And so when you finally pray, the Holy Spirit knows how you feel. So he'll groan right along with you. He'll know what's, what's the purpose. See, he's got a tie with heaven. And as you're groaning and he's groaning, there's a smile on his face because he knows. <laughs> Ledbetter has no idea where this is going. And so, yes, he's groaning, but he's 
praying along with me. It's always amazing. So many Christians, even some men sitting in this room, do not know what needs to be done for the kingdom of God. And they don't want to do what needs to be done for the kingdom of God. Many of you are just refuse to open your mouth and tell the gospel to somebody. You refuse. You won't, you refuse to help in a ministry in children's church. You won't humble yourself and sing. Hey, it's embarrassing to get up here and sing the wrong note. <laughs> but you won't humble yourself. You won't serve someone. You ought to be able to serve anybody that comes into that door and just be a blessing to them. You know why most people don't do that? Simply because it's hassle. They might look at me wrong. The kids might laugh at me. People will notice my off singing. It's hassle. It hurts. It's hard. Well, welcome to the cross. That's the Christian life. We carry the cross, folks. We're nuts. We're not able. And you know, as I carry the cross into my prayer time, that's when the Holy Spirit snuggles up right next to me. And he groans along with me. I don't know if you take that. Maybe later, maybe it'll, the penny will drop. The light will come on. The truth will hit you square between the eyes. You'll go, I'm not alone when I'm praying. Hmm. Do you know most of the people who wrote hymns? I tell them on, on, on Friday night and on Sunday night on the radio, when I give the background hymns, many, if not most, of the writers of the hymnals were invalid. They were at great depths of, of sorrow. I mean, It Is Well With My Soul was written by a man who lost his four daughters after losing his son several years earlier. Four daughters in a, in a, in a crossing of the Atlantic as he was trying to serve God and go to be with an evangelist preaching in, 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 in England. His daughters went down with the ship, young daughters. And he writes, it is well with my soul. Let me tell you, when you read these hymns and they're writing about joy and they're writing about heaven and they're writing about knowing who holds me, who holds my hand, knowing that, um, uh, that heaven is sure. They're writing it from bed and from sickness and from weakness and from sorrow. And they're blessing, aren't they? Yeah. See, the Holy Spirit knows that when you're going through that struggle and that, that disaster, he says, if only Ledbetter could see what God's going to make out of that. You see, the disaster is not fun. It's not good. It's not enjoyable. But what God can use it for and make it into is brilliant. That's why I follow him. So, mm. Romans 8.34, I'm going to say this. There's a, there's a process here. Look at Romans 8.34. It says, who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also, what does he do? Are you real? Romans after 8.34, maketh intercession for us. So get the news. Get the picture. I'm on my knees praying. I think heaven's not hearing. All I have is a grunt, a groan, a grumble. Uh, mm. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to pray. If somebody asked me, let better pray, I'd go, I don't want to. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to face this thing. I don't know how to tell God what to do. I don't know how to ask God for anything. And the Holy Spirit right there says, keep talking, let better. 
and it goes straight up into the ears of Jesus Christ, who is right at the right hand of the Father, and he knows the mind of the Spirit. He knows what the Holy Spirit knows in my life, and he translates. That's what the intercessory work is. He translates my grunt, my groan, my stupid requests even, where I pray for what I want, and Jesus says, don't get what he wants. This is what he needs. And that whole process is going on when I pray. The Holy Spirit is interceding, taking my groaning before the throne. Jesus is understanding the groaning, translating it into what cannot be uttered. The Bible says groanings that cannot be uttered here, but in heaven, they're plainly laid out and they agree with the will of God and it gets done. You know, there's no prayer request Jesus ever prays that is not answered. So when I pray, and I pray for stupid things, I don't know how to pray. By the time it gets to heaven, it's a perfect prayer. Amen? Amen. you got to start to believe. I don't know what to pray. Just pray. Just say something. You say, I don't know how to talk to God. You know how to talk to anybody. You just won't talk to God. You don't want to take the time to be honest and real and admit you don't know what to say, and you need to start believing there's a Holy Spirit that will take whatever you fumble through and perfectly present it before the throne of God. Isn't that awesome? Just pray. Look at uh, Hebrews 4. Hold your place here. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Hebrews 4, 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, hold fast what we believe. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. That's called a double negative. So put it in the reverse. We have a high priest which can be and is touched with our feelings of weakness. With He knows what it feels like to be mistreated, to suffer. But was in all points, it goes on, verse 15, tempted like as we are yet without sin. So let us therefore come boldly, courageously, confidently unto the throne of grace. That's God's throne. That we may obtain mercy <laughs> and find grace to help in the time of our need. Isn't that awesome? I could just spend a week on this thought. If you're waiting for things to be going good before you pray, if you're waiting for the ability to pray professionally before you pray, you're wasting your time. Pray. Walk with God. You ought to get into the car, and before you drive, pray and say, Lord, thank you for my health, my life, for my family, for this car. Keep me safe. I'm going to trust you. From here on out, I'm going to try to talk to you all day long. Because I found out today... There is power in that prayer. You're going to work everything that I'm giving up on for good. Second, third thing, the promise. Let's look in Romans 8, 28, and we'll finish this up. And we know, Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Here is the promise for the Christian that all things that we go through as Christians and we experience are working together for good. Folks, cancer is not good. 
Divorce is not good. Being hated is not good. Not everything that we experience is good. Some things are good. Amen. I mean, church is good most of the time. I mean, honestly, there are some good things in life, but there are a lot of things that aren't good. But God promises that everything, good and bad, is being worked together, woven together in something good. Even the loss of a child, even a war going on, even a famine, cancer in your life, divorce, abandonment, loss of a job, loss of health. There is something, dear Christian, there is something that is bigger and better that God is working out in the long run. We have been taught, we have been made by our parents into the most selfish generation to ever exist on this planet, I believe, where we only want now. We want to be happy now. We don't care about your happiness. We care about what we can be happy now. If I'm not happy, I'm not going to let anybody else be happy. And the Christian doesn't live that way, even if my life falls to pieces. I know it's all working together for good. You see how that works? There's something bigger, better that God is working out. He's taking everything that you've done, everything that the devil has done. I'm talking about the bad things you've done. I'm talking about the failures in your life. I'm talking about the things where you look and you go, I never want to talk about that again. I never want to look back at that stuff. He takes everything and he redeems it. He fixes it. He steps in and we've got ourselves in so much debt and he lifts us out of that. Genesis chapter 50, don't go there, but Joseph's got his brothers now. <laughs> he's been elevated to the level of second under Pharaoh. And he's in, he's wearing gold and silver. He's walking along on, on uh, carpets and he's eating the best food. And his brothers have been starving down in Canaan. And they come up to him. They come to realize this is the Joseph that they sold into slavery out of, out of jealousy and out of bitterness, and they wanted to hurt him. And when they, when, he, when they realize he now has the power to hurt them back, listen to what he says. As for you, talking to his brothers, you thought evil against me, and they did. But God meant it unto good. What? Yes. To bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Joseph accepted the fact that all the hurt, all the pain, all the trouble, all the disaster of his life, and his life was just a disaster, a string of disasters, unfortunate events. All of that, he says, that was God bringing to pass to save your stinking lives. <laughs> and not just you, but dad and um, uh, uncle so-and-so. And so many people have been saved because God took your bitterness and put me in Pharaoh's house and up here at this place. That was God. So don't you dare give out in the valley and give up in the disaster and think God's all through with you. You have no idea. And if you start to believe Romans 8, 28, you'll be able to say, it will be worth it. I just got to stay the course. I just got to stay humble. I got to not listen to the world, not listen to my heart. Just believe that you're working all things together for good. You have every reason to believe this i need some some uh, emmanuel get up here for a second all right so emmanuel i would like you to taste that right there serious taste it taste it come on how does it taste 
an egg. Like an egg. Thank you. You can be seated down. Good or bad? Uh, <laughs> Cleb, come on up here. All right. What's this? Taste, taste that one over there. Use this as pinky. What is it? Butter. Okay. How's it taste? Good or bad? <laughs> I need something more adventurous. Uh, Gavin, get up here. <laughs> Come on up here. Taste this. Not not a lot. Just taste it. Just dip tip of your finger in there. All right. Taste it. You know what that is? You don't know what it is. How did it taste? Good or bad? Is all right. Okay. It's vanilla. Uh, somebody else. Let's see. Leo, come here. I'll give you something safe. So far, most of it's kind of been nah and bad. Come on up here. Just taste it. It's sweet enough. Okay. It's a bit of milk. That's all right. Okay, so good. All right, Bill, come on up here. So we got a lot. So far, we got a lot of complainers. That's all I've got to say. Okay. No, no, just dip your finger in there. Tell me, tell me, taste bitter, sweet. No, no, no double dipping. <laughs> what is it? What do you think it is? I don't know. I, I, that's why I wanted to double dip. Oh, all right, double dip. All right, because nobody's going to use it. No, no, never. All right, it's a bit of flour. Let's see, I need somebody else. T Row, come up here. It's not sugar. It's not. He licks his finger at a time, he has poisoned it. <laughs> just no, I just was bitter, sweet. What is it? No, it's uh, yeah, kind of bitter. Okay, all right, thank you. Baking soda, Sean, come up here. And he licks his finger. Go ahead, that's all right. It's sweet. Okay, this is one good. All right, bit of sugar. All right. Now, you know what those all are? They're called ingredients. Most of them are not so enjoyable. You do not just take a spoonful of baking powder and put, stick it in your mouth. You don't take a spoonful of dried flour, stick it in your mouth, and enjoy it. Um, I didn't even bring out the salt. You don't just take spoonfuls of salt. You take it and dust it. All of those things by themselves are usually not very enjoyable. Now, sometimes you give a kid a spoon and sugar and they'll keep coming back. But you know what happens when you take a blender to those things? You get that. So the idea is stay back. Tomorrow, you lose your job. Tomorrow, you... I don't know, you find out you got cancer. Tomorrow, you, you, the car won't start. Tomorrow, I don't know what happens in life. It all stinks. There are sometimes they're sweet like sugar. Most of it's like raw egg. Most of life is like flour, plain, yucky, tasty flour. But God is the great redeemer, the great mixer, the great worker of it all together into something beautiful. Amen.
Do not let the world, the flesh, and the devil, don't let culture, don't let anybody say give up. You're ruining your own life. Exactly. The promises that God's going to work even the even in the tiniest of the details here, like working things that we ruin, <laughs> back for good. That's why Paul says, I don't have time. Second Corinthians 4, he says, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, just dies. Yet our inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, I wish I could say that, but he has a good view on life. He says, but our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and external or eternal weight of glory. My bit of affliction is working towards something that is heavy and awesome and glorious. You know how why that's true? Because God knows the end from the beginning. Amen. And he knows you. Why does all, who does all this apply to? Not to everybody. You need to be shocked. You need to realize it's only for people who really love him. There are people who have the lip service. Jesus said, this people draws nigh to me with their mouth, but their heart is far from me. Don't be like that. Honestly, every time we come to church, it's a test. You come out of sorrow, suffering, struggles, and you pick up that hymnal and say, like, you're like a, you're just barely able to breathe. Go ahead and believe. Go ahead and sing. Go ahead and praise God. Because that's the test to know, am I believing that it's all going to work out for good? That promise is for those who love God and for people who are the called according to his purpose. People who are part of God's plan. People who are already doing what God has called them to do. Jesus called Peter to follow him, and guess what Peter did? He left his nets and he followed him, and as he followed him, it got better and better and better. <clears throat> Christian passionately loved God. If I'm, I'm talking about spiritual things. Coming to church doesn't matter. I want you here. You ought to be here, but you need to passionately love God on Monday. Amen? And you need to be doing the will of God on Monday. <laughs> And then you'll be able to look forward to everything working together for good. The greatest promise for the Christians found in Romans 8, verse 28. It's not promised to people who work the hardest or to the strongest, but to people who passionately, intimately, consistently love God and who are the called according to his purpose. It's not just a promise for heaven, but the fact that by the time we get to heaven, we're going to look back and go, wow, look what God did. We know what the devil did, but look how God worked it all together for good. Now, not everybody's going to enjoy this promise. We'll see it come true. There are going to be some people who are going to hear this message this morning and go out of here the same way you came in. And when, when you wake up, it will not be in heaven and you will not see everything turn out for good. You'll see your life forever separated from God under the wrath of God, separated from God. Don't go there. Jesus Christ is the love of God for your lost soul. He gave so that you could receive the gift of eternal life. If you've never been saved, you need to be saved today because only then can everything that's in your past actually be worked together for something good. Stand with me. Let's bow in prayer. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want you to think for a second.
Are all the events in your life only seen as a time for you to grumble, complain, give up, quit? Well, if you're groaning, groan towards heaven. Cast all of those feelings, those emotions, those conclusions, cast them on the hands and the mighty arm of God, which is Jesus. Let him carry them and then trust that doesn't matter how much you messed up something. No, doesn't matter how much you ruined something. God's not put off by that. He will still make everything work together for good in the end. So let him have it. And tomorrow, get up and try again. Keep going and fail and give it to God and trust that everything, no matter how messed up, is still going to work out for good. Just keep your heart right. Every head bowed, every eye closed, please keep your heart right. Keep seeking to do the will of God, small areas, little things, big things, doesn't matter, just do the right thing. And start to believe this verse. If there's anybody in this room who's not saved and they've just gone through life, I pray that they realize it's not just heaven or hell. It's sanity that we've been given. The fact that we don't have to die every time something goes wrong. We can trust it's all going to be okay. I pray somebody makes that decision today and every Christian comes out of here going, I believe it now. In Jesus' name, amen.